you're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. The loss of the child Jesus in the temple Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 40 to 52. And the child grew and waxed strong, full of wisdom, and the grace of God was in him. And his parents went every year to Jerusalem at the solemn day of the Pasch. And when he was twelve years old, they, going up into Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast, and having fulfilled the days when they returned, the child Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and his parents knew it not. And thinking that he was in the company, they came a day's journey and sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And not finding him, they returned into Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his wisdom and his answers. And seeing him, they wondered, and his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the word that he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these words in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with God and men. So, verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong, full of wisdom, and the grace of God was in him. Now, this verse 40 follows the account of our Lord's circumcision and the performance of the the other rituals and and laws of the, the temple, so the presentation. And Luke actually skips over the whole question of the flight into Egypt. We don't we don't see that in his gospel. And so this short verse covers roughly 12 years of our Lord's life, because the next thing that we're going to see is them going up, when Jesus is 12 years old, to the the festival, the the Passover festival. And looking at this verse, we can see how in the life of our Lord, there was, we can say, nothing that was really remarkable about him. We've talked about this before. In the eyes of the world, he would have seemed like an ordinary child lying in the manger, an ordinary child toddler, you know, uh, playing with the Magi, perhaps, when they come came. He would have appeared like an ordinary little boy doing doing what boys do, helping his father in the, in the carpenter shop, helping his mother around the house, playing with the, the other boys in the village, beyond the fact that he was a, a good boy, an obedient boy, a pious boy, a virtuous boy. There would not have been anything um, striking or, or remarkable about him. He certainly would not have been standoffish or aloof in, in his exercises of piety or his artificial introduction of religion to, to situations that did not call for it. And that can actually be a snare from the devil, particularly in the early days of our conversion, if you want to call it that. The day when a man realizes that, you know, my life is, is somewhat lukewarm. I need to start practicing virtue, practicing piety. And his desire, of course the devil sees that, and he pushes him, or can push him, certainly to an extreme, where his behavior becomes really um, distasteful and off-putting to the people around him. Very often in our zeal, particularly when we first find tradition, maybe we're 
you know, we're coming from the Novus Ordo. We're coming from um, a background where maybe we weren't really living our faith as we should. We find tradition and we're, we're so, you know, uh, overwhelmed by the grace that we find. And we want to share it with others, but we do it in, a, in an indiscreet way. We do it in a way that is um, more likely to drive people away from the faith. They, they see our behavior and they say, you know, if that's Catholicism, I don't want that. With our Lord, the grace of God is more and more revealed in him in a way that is commensurate or proportioned to his age. Here we have a good um, reminder, perhaps, for parents to, to let your children be children. Obviously, they're going to uh, be taught their prayers. They're going to say their rosary with the family. They're going to say their morning prayers, their evening prayers. They're going to be reminded, of course, about their grace before and after meals. They're going to be instructed on how to make a good confession and, and to receive and frequent the sacraments often with devotion. But at the same time, we have to let them be children. I have been asked before, what the best thing a parents that parents can do to to see that their children keep the faith and my response is always to have a happy home to make the home a place where they where they feel loved where they feel safe where they a place they want to come back to i think in the vast majority of cases where someone abandons the faith abandons the practice of the faith it's because it was imposed in such a way that it became suffocating for the child and of course, then, once he got out on his own, he went off to college, he moved out, he got a job, he did whatever, not having had that personal contact or connection with Christ, it's very easy for him to let it go. So, too, the, you know, the child who doesn't have a good relationship with the parents, with his, with his father especially, he associates the faith with his father. And, and just as he wants to get out of the house, get out and, and be his own man, well, he sees the faith as being something part of his father, and it's very easy for him to let it go. On the other hand, if there's a, a very strong bond within the family, well, the faith is supported by that. And on that point, maybe I realize I'm getting a little bit off track, but it is, I think, important. I saw a, a research study about um, the likelihood of someone, a child, that is, keeping the faith after he moves out of the house. And, and the report found that in those homes where only the mother practices the faith, the likelihood of the child, boy or girl, the likelihood of them keeping the faith was less than 5%. And I say keeping the faith, meaning they're going to practice the faith on their own when they get out. Now, less than 5% if only mom is the one practicing. In homes where mom and dad are both practicing, the likelihood of the child um, practicing the faith um, once he gets out on his own, it went up dramatically. It was something like, like 30, 35%, something like that. But what was most striking was that in those homes where only dad practices, so maybe mom is not a believer, but dad practices his faith, the likelihood of the children practicing the faith was 55%. This shows how important it is for the father, like St. Joseph, to lead his family, but again, in a way that is ordered, that is natural, that is loving, and that is um, a reflection of the love of the father for his children. I say our father in heaven, of course. And it is striking to, to see that the homes where both parents practice, the chance of the child actually um, practicing the faith is less than if only dad practices. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that mom should stop going to mass or quit praying or whatever. That's ridiculous. 
but we can we can assume that in those homes the children see that dad is just going along because he wants to keep peace with mom you know that mom is really the one calling the shots in religion and children will not follow their mother i mean mother or excuse me boy or girl they're going to follow their father and maybe maybe it's worth uh you know cautioning or reminding our daughters telling our young women when you choose a man, remember you're choosing someone who is going to be Christ in the home. So like I said, a little bit of a, a sidetrack there, but nevertheless, good good things for us uh, to reflect upon, good food for thought. Now the last point I wanted to make here on verse 40 is just the, the fact that you know we are influenced by the persons that we grow up with. We can imagine that the, the other children in the neighborhood, by the, by the example of our Lord, again, a good um, pious yet balanced uh, example, a kind, sacrificial example. Um, surely the children of Nazareth that our Lord grew up with, his cousins, his neighbors and friends, um, they would have been affected by that. And, and in our own lives, we know that the, the, the men or women that we are today is very, has very much been shaped by those who, who we hung out with when we were, when we were young. Now, I mention this because we, we want to grow up with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're going through our, whole, our Lord's uh, whole life. We want to be eyewitnesses of this, and we want to let it um, affect us so that we can, we can be changed, uh, changed men and women. So, verse 41, And his parents went every year to Jerusalem at the solemn day of the Pasch. Now, every year, we can see that, again, his parents were pious. They weren't going up to Jerusalem every week. But they were going up when the when the law required it. They were fulfilling their duties, and and at the same time, of course, fulfilling their duties of state. We see that um, in in the lives of most saints, you know, the the story of uh, the, any any saint's life it usually begins, especially in the breviary lessons, with you know he was a child of of good and devout parents. So they went up every year. Now, we don't know if our Lord went with them every year. It is possible that perhaps Joseph just went up. Remember, Archelaus is, uh, is reigning in the place of Herod, his father, perhaps because of the danger. Um, this is the first time after 12 years that our Lord is going to go up to the temple. Perhaps um, with the crowds, they, they deemed it prudent and safe for them to go up every year. But this is the first time that we're told that, that Jesus went with them, whether he had gone in previous years or not. Verse 42 tells us, And when he was 12 years old, they going up into Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. I've wondered many times, was, was this the first time that our Lord went back to his father's house, to obviously the temple, um, since the presentation? And again, as a young man, looking in the, at the beauty of the temple, admiring the glory of his father's house, being there now as a man. Remember, 12 years, you know, in, in modern Jewish terms, we'd say, you know, it's time for his bar mitzvah. He's, he's going, to be a, going to be a man now, which means that he's going to be obliged to fulfill the precepts of the law. And so he's going up. Prior to this time, he would not have been obliged to go up uh, for, the, for the sacrifices, for the celebration of the festival, nor was his mother strictly obliged, and yet we could easily imagine, again, the whole family going up out of, out of their devotion. Verse 43, And having fulfilled the days when they returned, the child Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and his parents knew it not. 
So after the festival of the, the Pasch or the, the Paschal, Paschal festival, when the Paschal lamb would have been sacrificed, uh, our Lord is going to stay there for three days. Three days he is going to be separated from his mother, from those that he loves. And of course, 21 years later, after uh, another Paschal feast, he's going to be separated for three days, obviously when he's, when he's lying in the tomb. We wonder if perhaps this was um, something that Mary thought about during that time of separation when our Lord had been buried and she thought about those three days that she had been separated from him um, when he was only 12. Perhaps God allowed this, uh, this trial at the, the early stage of our Lord's life um, in order to, to strengthen Mary for the, for the later trial. Now, the child Jesus, as we said, he's 12 years old. He's on the cusp of manhood. He's at a stage when a boy begins to, to exercise more independence. And he chooses to stay behind and remain in his father's house, as he will, will later tell Our Lady that it was his duty to be about his father's business. Now, God, of course, is everywhere, but there are certainly some places where his presence is more clearly felt, and this is a good example for us. We can stay at home and we can pray in our homes, and certainly God is there. We know that. God is dwelling in us, of course, by sanctifying grace. We can recall his presence in that way. And yet, how much um, more consoling is it when we, when we go to church and, and we have our Lord's presence there in the tabernacle to console us and to... Uh, an object we can say that is that is really truly physically present, containing his body, blood, soul, and divinity, on which we can can fix our emotions and our and our love and our care and devotion. Verse forty four, and thinking that he was in the company, they came a day's journey and sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Now, this at first reading, you might think, well, my goodness, how how irresponsible of of Mary and Joseph. To, to not realize that, that our Lord wasn't with them until a full day has passed. And yet, again, if we look at the concrete um, circumstances in which they were living, normally these caravans that would uh, go down for the big festivals, the, the people would travel together. Remember, they're traveling through Samaria, which is a, a, a land or region that's hostile to the Jews. Um, in order to avoid brigands and, and provide for mutual mutual defense and support along the route, which is a good three-day journey, um, they would travel together in a caravan. And normally the men would be in one column uh, of the caravan, and then parallel to them along the same road would be would be the women in the in the opposite column. Now, at the end of the day, the, the men and women, of course, would come together. The, the, the families would, would meet up. They would pitch camp and fix, fix food. They would spend the night, and then the next morning after breakfast, they would break camp, and they would set out on the journey again. And it was typical that the children normally would follow, um, or they would, they would be, they would travel with the women, and then the men, of course, were together with the men. So the boys, you know, 12 years and older, would have been with the men. So it's very feasible that our Lord, perhaps going down to the festival, was with Our Lady. And then on the return, of course, he's not with Our Lady, and Our Lady naturally would have assumed that, well, okay, he's a man now, and he should be with Joseph. Now, Joseph, of course, um, he can be forgiven for maybe not noticing that Our Lord isn't there. 
maybe because because he's a man and often men don't notice those sorts of things, but also because, well, okay, she is the mother of God and uh, it's natural that he would be with her. Um, and so he doesn't he doesn't notice it until some time has passed. Now, at the end of the day's journey, of course, Mary and Joseph would have come back together. We can imagine this scene where maybe Mary asked, uh, well, where's Jesus? And Joseph said, well, I, I assumed he was with you. And Mary says, well, you know, haven't you seen him? You know, and she, she maybe expresses a, a little bit of maternal concern. If we think about it, Mary and Joseph obviously were both very pious. They had read the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Mary may have very well known the fate that her son was destined to, and she may have panicked at first a little bit or, you know, been struck with uh, the thought that perhaps our Lord's passion had already be begun. Imagine their, their concern when, when they realize that they've, they've lost this child that had been entrusted to them. Now, perhaps this panic or this, this you know, overt concern doesn't uh, occur all at once, we can imagine um, Mary expressing her concern, and again, we can imagine it Joseph being, again, like any man, like any good father, you know, don't don't coddle him, don't don't worry about it. He's probably just off playing with his friends. Let him be, and like any man, he probably would have used a, a little bit of reason and common sense and said, you know, when he's hungry, he'll come home, or perhaps told Mary, you know, look, maybe he was maybe he was invited to, to have dinner with some of his cousins. So they have their dinner, they take their rest, and then, of course, the next morning, um, there's still no sign of our Lord. Um, perhaps um, it's now that they begin to to really panic. They begin to ask around. They check with the other campsites uh, at the, in the caravan, and he's nowhere to be seen. And no one has seen him. No one knows where he is. And now this this panic really begins to set in. And they have to now travel the full day's journey back to Jerusalem, perhaps getting there um, later in the afternoon or, or early evening on, on Tuesday. It's true that perhaps, you know, once they realized he wasn't at the, uh, at the camp the night before, perhaps they would have traveled through the night and had a full day, a full Tuesday to look for him. But, but it's, it's easy enough to imagine that that there was a day's journey out, there's another day's journey back, and then, of course, this third day that they're is searching for him. We read in verse 45, and not finding him, they returned into Jerusalem seeking him. We see, certainly, that once they realize, once it's confirmed that he is not there, they take immediate action to go to go find him. They are They are not content, we might say, to be separated from him, and they have to make some serious efforts to find Christ. And we might apply that in our own life that, you know, sometimes in prayer, you know, maybe we kneel down to prayer and at first it's very dry. It's full of distractions. And if we simply give up um, immediately, well, then we're never going to find what it is that we're looking for. We might ask ourselves, how much effort um, do I expend? How much effort do I make to find our Lord? Now, it can happen very often that, that God will hide himself, so to speak. He doesn't make his presence felt. He doesn't send us the, the lights, the grace, the consolation that we, that we all enjoy and we all appreciate. And if he does this, it's in order to see, to test us, you know, how much do you really want me? If he, if he hides himself, it's in order to make us chase him. And um, like the, the, the young, young lady who might play, you know, hard to get, quote unquote, 
Um, so God sometimes withdraws to, to give us the opportunity to merit when we search for him. Verse 46, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. I've always wondered if maybe, uh, again, Mary recalled this event when she was awaiting um, our Lord to come and appear to her after his resurrection. And we note, too, that where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And again, I've wondered if um, if they'd only gone there first when they got back to Jerusalem. Again, if it was, you know, sometime on Tuesday, if they had gone first to the temple, you know, perhaps they went back to where they had stayed. Perhaps they went to search with relatives. I mean, they're frantic, understandably. Um, but if they had only gone to God, gone to church, gone to God, gone to the temple first, would they? Would their pain and their suffering had have been less? So too with with ourselves, instead of uh, a lot of you know frenetic activity, you know, trying to solve our problems. If we go first to God, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, very often the questions, the problems, the difficulties, um, they often resolve themselves. And if we focus our gaze on our Lord right now in this verse, what do we see? We see that our Lord isn't preaching. He's not um, acting in a way that is uh, outside or, or above what his years would demand. He is sitting, he's listening, and he's asking questions. Now, Socrates, it was said, when he wanted to teach men truth, he would not walk up to them and say, okay, you want to know what truth is? Here's, here's what truth is, and give them the definition or whatever. But he would walk up to a man and he would ask him the question, what is truth? And the man would give some, some response. And Socrates would say, well, okay, but if that's true, well, then then how does how would that apply in this situation? Well, no, no, that's not what I meant. When I, when I, what I meant was this. And he would continue to ask the person questions. And he would, so to speak, draw the truth or draw the answer, whatever the question was. He would draw it out of the person. And this can be a very good example for ourselves, like our Lord, like like Socrates, when we are trying to bring the truth to somebody, it's good if we approach them in a, in a humble manner. We ask them questions. We get their opinion. We try and understand what they say in a Catholic sense and show them where they are, where they are correct. And then, of course, where where they are deviating. Again, always doing it in a, a very humble manner, a very simple manner, we might say. Now, in this particular event in the life of our Lord, Let's ponder for a moment what would have happened if Our Lady and St. Joseph had simply left him there to continue um, what he was doing. They are studying the scriptures, and our Lord is asking questions about this prophecy and how this prophecy from Daniel ties in with what Isaiah said about the Messiah. And if that's true, well then, well then how does that figure with what David said in the Psalms? regarding the Messiah, regarding the Savior, the Promised One, the Anointed One. And of course, you can tell a great deal about the intelligence of someone by the questions they ask. Our Lord is making connections. He is seeing parallels, and he's asking them those questions to the point where, where they are amazed uh, at his learning and his knowledge. We can imagine them saying, you know, where did you, where did you learn? Where did you study? And of course, the answer is, well, from my mother, from my father, maybe maybe to some extent from the local rabbi in, in Nazareth where he's from. How long would it have been, though, before someone asked him, where were you born? And our Lord responds, in Bethlehem. How old are you? Well, I'm, I'm 12 years old. 
And someone recalls that's precisely the time the Magi had come in search and precisely the time that Herod had slaughtered the Holy Innocents. What does your father do? Well, he's a carpenter. Oh, come on. I mean, how can you have such learning in yourself? Show me your hands. And our Lord shows them his hands and they're, and they're calloused. He's working. How long would it have been, though, before someone, it dawned on them to ask, are you him? You're the one. You're the Messiah. Now, the plan of redemption, obviously, God had foreseen from all eternity how it would play out, that our Lord was destined to die for us, that his people would reject him. But if Mary and Joseph had left him be, how long would it have been before maybe, with our Lord's instruction, and he is instructing them, he is the teacher, even if he's the one asking the questions, perhaps he could have won more of the, of the Jewish people to, to the message to accept him. And that's the point, is that the plan of redemption didn't have to include the cross. It, it did insofar as that's what the Father had willed. But if the, he had been left alone, could, could things have worked out differently? And the answer, of course, is yes. And yet God has willed the cross because he's seen that that's going to be the best way to demonstrate his love for us. And it's going to be the best thing to separate us from the love of this world in order to attach us to him. Verse 47, and all that heard him were astonished at his wisdom and his answers. We've already discussed how, how amazed they must have been in seeing the intelligence of this child by the questions that he asked. And we see, of course, examples like this in the lives of the saints. We recall, you know, a St. Teresa of Avila or St. Catherine of Siena who um, were asked questions actually by theologians, even if they didn't have the theological training. St. Thomas Aquinas as well would, would later say that he learned more before the crucifix than in reading all of the doctors of the church. Verse 48. And seeing him, they wondered, and his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Here, once again, we have another example of an incident where Mary, sinless as she is, and Joseph, you know, the just man that he is, their thoughts don't always coincide with the thoughts of God. And it's a good reminder to us that even our, our best ideas don't always match up with God's will. We have a plan. We have something that we are, are sure that this is going to give God glory. This is going to win souls. And then through the, uh, the manifestation of God's will in the events of our life or through our superiors, our great plans end up being thwarted. And yet we see that really what's most important, what is most going to give God glory is when we submit our will to his holy will. And our Lord will give us an example of submitting his will to another when, again, he obeys his human creature. He obeys our Blessed Mother. How can we chafe or buck or complain about submitting our will to someone else when God himself has given us such an example? I think it's St. Leo, and maybe from his sermon around Christmas, he says, learn, O dust, to obey, when we, when we see the example of Christ's obedience to, to his creatures. Verse 49, and he said to them, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, these are, in fact, the very first recorded words of Christ that we have in the Gospels. And we note, and Father uh, Bishop Sheen, rather, had, had commented that notice that he doesn't answer Our Lady's question. Our Lady asks, how could you have done this? Didn't you know that it was going to hurt us? Didn't you know that it would cause us sorrow? 
And our Lord doesn't respond because, because of course, he's God. He knows that this was going to cause them heartache and sorrow. And yet he chose to do it nonetheless in order to give us an example of how the will of God must trump all other considerations and all other desires. This is never more true than in following a vocation. Of course, you know, a young lady or a young man chooses to enter religion, chooses to, to enter a monastery or a convent or enter a pre, into the priesthood. And he knows that, of course, on one hand, his parents will be very happy, but then on the other hand, it's going to cause them a great deal of pain and suffering insofar as it means a separation from the family. You're not going to be there for Christmas. You're not going to be there for, you know, the family events and all of the weddings and the other things that, that come up in the life of the family. And yet we must be about our father's business. We might even read a, a little bit, a, a gentle sort of rebuke in the words of our Lord when he says, how is it that you sought me? Now, when we know where something is, we don't go in search of it. If you know that you keep the scissors in the top left drawer of the kitchen, you know, a cupboard or a cabinet, and you want the scissors, you simply go to the drawer and you, and you take them. Now, our Lord says, how, how could it be that you were searching for me? Did you not know where I would be? Is it not natural that I would be in my father's house? This ties in or supports a little bit the idea before that if they had only gone to the temple first, then they would have found him and their suffering certainly would have been less. Verse 50, and they understood not the word that he spoke to them. Now we mentioned before the, the, the potential panic that may have set in, the, the fear that maybe um, our Lord had already been taken and maybe perhaps had already been, been martyred or murdered. Um, they knew not when or how Christ would manifest himself. Our Lady had asked him, why hast thou done so to us? And the answer may very well be to, to give them a, a preparation for the greater pain and sorrow and, and loss that would ensue in the three days following his passion. Verse 51 and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these words in her heart. Now, the first part then, he went down with them to Nazareth. Again, this subjection of our Lord, the humility of our Lord, subjecting himself in obedience to the very creatures that he himself created and that he himself is sustaining. And once again, we have these beautiful words um, speaking about Our Lady, that she kept these words in her heart. We see this again and again throughout the Gospels, how she ponders these words. She's know there's, there's more, she knows that there's more here than meets the eye in this episode. And so she continues to contemplate these truths as they're manifested to her. And again, a great example for ourselves how the events of our lives, you know, we might at first, you know, ask God, why? What did I do? Why did it, why, you know, what did I do to deserve this? Why did you let this happen? And yet if we are silent and we ponder and we reflect, we will see in everything, literally everything, the love of God, the love of our Father in heaven for us and his desire truly for our ultimate good. Last verse then, verse 52, and Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with God and men. Now that short verse covers, again, the next 18 years of his life. And what is he doing? He is being subject to his parents there in Nazareth, hidden and forgotten for, for roughly 30 years, of 30 of his 33 years living in obscurity, 
in preparation for the three years of his public ministry. Now, if we go back and look at the first verse and compare it with this last verse and this uh, mystery we've been contemplating of the, the loss of the child Jesus, we'll see a great parallel. So we go back, verse 40, and the child grew and waxed strong, full of wisdom, and the grace of God was with him. And now, verse 52, and Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with God and men. Now, modernists, of course, would say that our Lord was unaware of his mission, that he only gradually became aware of it. And this is false. Our Lord is God. He is fully aware of what his mission is. He is, he has full knowledge. The only knowledge that he acquires or gains is the, what we would call the experimental or experiential knowledge in, in experiencing these things firsthand as they, as they unfold. But as we mentioned before, he doesn't manifest his glory, his power, his, his knowledge and wisdom all at once, but it's proportioned to the years that he possesses as a man. He wasn't preaching sermons uh, verbally from the crib in, uh, in Bethlehem, and nor is he preaching sermons, as we see now at 12 years old in the temple, but he manifests his, his glory and his wisdom and his power little by little to, to mankind. A illustration of this, uh, or an analogy to illustrate it, is the fact that the sun is always brilliant, and yet, it's said to grow in brilliance, in, in glory, as it reaches its meridian. You know, as, it, as it rises in the sky, it illuminates more and more the land, and then it seems again to wane, of course, as it, as it sets. And so, too, with our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is always God from the first moment of his conception. He unites this human nature to himself, and yet little by little he manifests that until, until it reaches um, the full glory, we might say, uh, at, the, at his resurrection and ultimately his ascension. Now, that is it for, for this particular mystery. We'll let you go back and read these, uh, what, 40? Verse 40 to 52, these uh, 12, 13 verses, and, and ponder these yourself, like our Blessed Mother, pondering these things in your heart. So, take care and God bless you.